Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he often does at this very table, would be senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there! So, uh, so what do you want to talk about today? Well, it's not what I want to talk about. Huh. It's what Alexander wants us to talk about. Okay. Here's what Alexander had to say. Hey guys, I find your podcast very educating. I'm a computer science major, but I have a difficulty understanding the architecture of the internet. So it'll be really nice for you to make a podcast addressing the internet architecture. Continue the good work. Well, Alexander, we decided we would tackle internet architecture, which is, you know, it's, it's conceptually, it's a pretty simple thing. Uh, it involves two different categories of, uh, of, of concepts, I guess you could say. You, it, you got your hardware and then you got your protocols. Yep. And that pretty much, you know, the, the marriage of the two is where the internet comes into play. Now, before we get too bogged down with the whole thing, we're going to start very simply. Let's take a, a trip back to the, the 60s, shall we? Okay. All right. Uh, I guess that means that we're going to pop into the time machine. <laughs> Liz is already giggling because she's here. She's actually going to – we're going to drag Liz into the time machine with us. Uh, she probably won't say anything, but she'll be back there with her hand over her mouth giggling. All right, let's just uh, set this back to the mid-60s and pop on back. And uh, let's uh, let's take a little visit to – to uh, the California, look at uh, ARPA back in the day. Dude, excellent. So, here we are. It's California. Route 66 right down the road. Chris, Chris you're just, is the road. You're just, <laughs> that's true. It is the only road in the 60s in California. Well, according to popular culture, I guess. Welcome to Misinformation Podcast <laughs> yeah, Limited. No uh, so anyway, we are here to talk it about ARPANET. Road. Okay. All right. So ARPANET was a project that was government funded. Mm-hmm. To uh, It was a, an attempt to create a network between various computer nodes uh, to make sure that we could transmit information from one major computer to another. And you have to remember, of course, right now, back in the 60s, computers are these enormous machines that uh, compared to the the desktop computer that you may have in front of you back over in the, uh, the year 2009 um, are not that powerful, not that sophisticated. Uh, but in, the really important thing is they don't they aren't networked together. They aren't able to send information back and forth. Now, there's a group of people who are working very diligently to create a system where two or more computers can transmit information between one another, even if they're working on completely different operating systems. Yeah, that that was actually one of the big problems. Yes. Um, because there had been uh, computer networks before that, but sure. they were all networks of computers running the same operating system. They were very local situations. Or, right. Or actually, some of them were, were sort of like uh, bulletin board systems, from what I understand. In right, that right. You could hook up to the network, but, you know, it wasn't a, a permanent situation. 
And, and it was also it also required you to be running the same operating system, and it was very limited in what it could do. And you had another kind of sort of network in the sense that you had a, a centralized computer and a bunch of dumb terminals where you are time sharing with that computer. It's not dumb really terminals. <laughs> it's not really networking because you're really tapping into the same processor and same storage unit as everybody else. You know, you don't have your own individual one, so it's not not the same as networking, but it's it's. Similar in concept. So now you have to find a way to connect these different machines together. And this group of people were working together to create ARPANET, the first major computer network between computers running different operating systems. And they did it. Yep. And that it's, it's probably important at least to mention as a, a sideline why it's important to the government that we were able to do this. I mean, a lot of these in, institutions that were involved in this were research Universities, Right. And, you know, they wanted to share information, but uh, it was also important for national security reasons, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, it sort of had a dual purpose, there, government and, and education. Right. Together. One of the one of the benefits that came up. I'm sorry. I'm oh, no, jumping no, no. all was, over you. No, you didn't. I stopped. Uh, but the one of the important benefits here to under to remember is that the um, by by distributing information uh, and by creating a network between different computers, you could protect against a catastrophic attack. If someone were to take out part of your information system, you would still have other computers that would be able to pass information along uh, within this this uh, complex network. Now, that was not something necessarily that was in the minds of people when they were first building ARPANET, but it did become uh, a benefit as people saw it later on down the road. So let's uh, so the the thing about ARPANET that we should remember is that this is the time and place where people began to design the protocols that would later come into play when we talk about the Internet. Yes. Now, these protocols are probably the most important aspect of Internet architecture. I mean, you've got your physical hardware, and that's important because without it, you don't have any connections. But without the protocols, you don't have a common language with which all computers can use to to communicate, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's, right. I, that's the really cool thing about the Internet is that because of these protocols – no matter what kind of computer you're using, you are able to send and and receive information from other computers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's pop back in the machine. I I I dig the '60s and all. Don't get me wrong, you know I love the music, but uh, we got business to attend to back in 2009. All right then. All right, let's pop back in. Liz, do you mind flipping the switch for us? Awesome. Thanks. Uh, I wish you guys could see that. At any rate, uh, so now here we are back in 2009. So the protocols designed back, uh, in the, the 60s and 70s really, mm-hmm. was, uh, those are what we depend upon today in order to communicate over the internet. Yep. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of them are still in use, even though they're not necessarily, uh, something that you can see. Um, you know, some of them are, are more common than others. I mean, one of the invisible ones, probably the, I would, I would say the most important one would be TCPIP. Yes. Which is the, uh, um, transfer control protocol, internet, internet protocol. protocol. Yes. Um, and that's, that one is pretty much invisible because that's, you know, you, your computer hooking up to the internet and transferring information back and forth, but you right. don't really see that happening. Right. And let's just to think back uh, on the whole ARPANET deal, ARPANET itself was not the internet. No. Okay. No. It wasn't, you, you can call it a, a kind of a, a grandfather to the internet if you like, but it was just a network. 
the internet is a network of networks. It is constantly changing. It is always evolving. As more networks come online or leave, the internet itself changes. Well, that's what the, the protocols do is they make, they made it possible to network networks. Right. So as more, uh, computers were able to use TCP IP to talk to one another, then it was possible to hook other networks up to the ARPANET and thus the evolution of the Internet. Right. So you even had things like satellite networks that could interconnect with the land-based networks. You have uh, cables that go underneath the ocean that connect uh, continents together, and you have satellites that connect continents together. All of these different systems together comprise the internet that we know, love, that Chris and I depend upon for our livelihood. Um, now, why are you, does that scare no, you? No, no. <laughs> that's pretty blunt. Yeah. Well, we do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. without the internet, there's no howstuffworks.com. There's no tech stuff. There's no job for you and I, and we'd be working somewhere else. Yep. So, uh, yay for the internet. All right. So the protocols, <laughs> protocols are the common language. It's, it's, so if you think of each operating system having its own native language, and we're, we're, when we're talking operating system, remember, we're not just talking Windows or Linux or, or the Mac OS. We're, there are hundreds of operating systems out there, some of which are proprietary to a very specific set number of machines. Yep. It has nothing to, you know, they, and they would look as foreign to, Anyone used to to Windows or Mac or, or Linux as as a, you know, a truly foreign language would to you, like you know if you were to go to a country where you didn't speak the language, same sort of thing. Your computer would not be able to communicate with these computers normally, but because of protocols like TCP/IP, these computers can exchange information, and it'll be understandable on either end of the line, which is pretty phenomenal. Yes, I agree. So. And when we're talking about a network of networks, that network can be made up of, of practically anything. We can talk about something as small as a home network, where that home network may just be one computer and whatever peripherals you happen to have attached to it. Or it may be that you have three or four computers that are all networked together that are then have a connection to the outside world through an Internet service provider. Um, but – your home network, that's a network, or it could be a, a local area network where several machines are all networked together. Like an for, office network. Exactly. For example, if I want to send a message to Chris, my messages don't necessarily go all the way out to the Internet and then come back. They're on a local area network. So an, a, a message I send to Chris is going to get there very, very quickly, and it doesn't require going out to the outside world. It's all self-contained. Right. But – our local area network also obviously has a connection to the internet, to the outside world, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do any research. That's a, that's a positive. Yes. Yeah. It turns out I have to do that a lot. You know, another protocol that, that Jonathan uses when he does his research would be hypertext transfer protocol. Yes. HTTP, which is the uh, HTTP you see at the beginning of a web address. Right. And of course we should also point out, the World Wide Web and the Internet are two different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The World Wide Web is an interface built on top of the Internet. It is not the Internet itself. The Internet is far more complex than just the World Wide Web. Although, in a lot of ways, it's not for most people. <laughs> Which is why well, people make for, their kid, for most people, confused. yeah, for most people, their main mm-hmm. their main interaction with uh, the Internet is limited to two things: email and the World Wide Web. Yep, but. The internet itself, again, we're talking about 
a network of networks. So it's more complex than that. Even if your own interactions tend to be pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now let's talk about some of the hardware that you find in the internet. Really, the internet can be divided up into two categories of machines, clients and servers. That's right. All right. So every machine on the internet is either a client or a server, or it can switch. Yeah. Like it can be a server or it can become a client, depending on the situation. Clients are, in general, the devices that you that you are using to try and access information. You are requesting information from a server. Your client sends this request out to a local server, which if the local server does not have access to this information, it will send it out to a regional server, which if it does not have access to that information, will then send it to a national server and so on. It keeps going further up the chain until it reaches the point where it can access the information you are requesting. It pulls that information from another server and then sends it back down the line to you. Awesome. It's, it sounds pretty, um, you make it sound really simple. It is. Well, you know what? If you look at a big picture scale, it is pretty simple. Some pretty amazing things have to happen for this to work properly. Mm-hmm. For example, the computers have to know where all the other computers are. You know, it has yeah. to, has to be able to, to figure out, oh, based upon this IP address, then I have to contact this other server over here, which can then at least point me in the right direction to get to the information, even if this server itself does not have the information I need. And not only that, but when it sends the information, it splits it up into lots of tiny little bits. Called packets. Yes. It makes me always think. I love that word. You you know what I always think of when I think of information being split into packets and then sent to be reassembled back at your computer, right? No. You're not going to say ketchup, are you? No, no. You can't. You honestly, yeah, Mike TV. Oh, right, from Willy no, Wonka the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Yes, because you think of that's exactly yeah, that's exactly the right image too. Right. I mean, if, you, if you've seen the movie, up. you know that he gets broken down into lots and lots of itty bitty pieces, and then reassembled on the television screen. And now, sometimes granted, your uh, your email is much smaller than it was when you right. <laughs> yes. Wow. You know that's why that's why web pages when we make them are much bigger over here at How Stuff Works. If you came in and looked at one of our web pages, they are like three stories tall. But of course, they get very tiny on the internet, which is why they look so small on your screen. Someone is going to write in. That is also more from Misinformation Podcast Limited. <laughs> uh, okay. So all right. So all right. Granted, the analogy is not perfect, but that's what well, I always think of. I'm sorry. I just wanted to. <laughs> It's amusing to me, uh, but no, that that's that's uh, pretty much it. Except it doesn't travel over the airwaves. Generally, it it you know proceeds down the uh, series of tubes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, we're gonna get lots of email. Okay, no, it goes. The the packets are broken up, and actually, they don't proceed in an orderly fashion. No, no, um, they are uh, they're essentially labeled with a little bit of information at the beginning and the end of each packet, and. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's some redundancy going on. The mm-hmm. same packets are sent in different places because from time to time, computers connect and disconnect and, um, you or know, just Jonathan fail would, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, for, well, for whatever reasons, mm-hmm. they connect and, and disconnect. Sure. And the thing is, um, as Jonathan was saying, it is pretty amazing that they can find one another. Well, it's even more amazing when you consider that, uh, machines fail or get shut off or, you know, uh, suddenly become uh, available and then there's another connection in between. Well, that that uh, redundancy helps the packets go from one place to another, and then they're reassembled based on the instructions in the uh, header and uh, footer of that that individual packet to be reassembled into a file. Say, uh, you know, um, 
a movie that you purchase online, that's a that's a big file, and it's broken down into lots and lots and lots of little packets and reassembled it on your computer. Right, and these packets can spread across various parts of the network, um, again, depending on where you need to connect. For example, let's say that you... Uh, you are a customer of a specific ISP. I'm not going to name any here because well, there are tons you know, of them. There anyway, are so. hundreds of them, big ones and small ones. But you're a customer of, let's say, you are a customer of ISP A. Okay, okay. we're just saying A as in that's the designation. I recommend and, them, by the way. Yeah, they're very good. They're Their very customer friendly. service is oh, yeah. really, really excellent. So ISP A, and uh, you connect to your ISP, your internet service provider, uh-huh. and you are uh, typing in a web address. You want to get access to a specific web address. And that web address uh, is for a, a a page that exists on a server that is not within that internet service provider's network. Okay. Right? Right. So the internet service provider has to then connect to what is called a network access point. Aha. Uh-huh. Network access points are points on the internet where multiple networks connect. Right. So, so it's sort of like a uh, like a stoplight. Yeah, or an intersection of roads. An intersection, yeah. It's exactly. So ISPA does not have does not directly connect to the server that contains the web page you want, but ISPB it does exist on ISPB. You can you can connect to it through there. So you have to go to a network access point where both A and B have a connection. And then because the the protocols allow different networks and computers to communicate with one another, mm-hmm. the information from the request from ISP A can be answered by ISP B. Now, uh, if it has to go even further up, it eventually hits what we call the backbone of mm-hmm. the Internet. Now, the backbone is owned by multiple um, owners. We're talking about governments, major corporations, major ISPs. They own what is called the backbone, which which is the trunk of the internet. Yeah, um, it it isn't really. Um, I wouldn't say incorrect to think of it almost like you would a tree. Yeah, because yeah. Um, what they call the last mile, the section between you and the the local switch, is handles much less bandwidth than what's actually available in the internet backbone. Yeah, I mean we're talking hundreds and hundreds of megabits per second transfer speeds but you need that on the on the backbone because uh these are the major uh thoroughfares they're almost like to use another metaphor like an interstate there's yeah. a lot more traffic it's moving at much faster speed and then you get to your you know your side roads which is where your house might be right once you once you get to the backbone that's where you're getting to the major communication between Enormous networks. Yeah, pardon my mixed metaphors. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, so you get the, the major communication between networks along the backbone. Then once you get down to the network access point, you're talking about communication between a couple of networks. And then once you get beyond that, you're talking about communication within a single network. So each time, each step, you're getting slightly smaller until you get down to the original client that requested the the information in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, think of it like a tree and then a uh, – uh, uh, the you could think of the the network access point being a major branch that then forks into two smaller branches, mm-hmm. which would be the two different internet service provider networks. Um, it's you know, it, like I said, it, it might be a little weird to to imagine it in a physical sense, but really, it's it's all just about connecting and uh, and sending information through various connections. I mean, anytime you're actually requesting information. The information is passing through 
lots and lots and lots of different machines to get you know, both the request to go out from you to the destination and the information from the destination back to you. Um, and it doesn't all follow the same path. Um, something you might try if you're interested in learning a little bit about your particular connection, um, you could try something called a trace route which will show you uh, some of the different places where your connection is is linking up with other computers on the Internet. Um, you know, I could get into greater detail, but um, I forgot to look that up. <laughs> um, but um, it, it just occurred to me, actually. So, right. um, But you can you can find that out. You can also do a ping, which will tell you how far, how fast um, the signal is transferred from your request is transferred from your uh, computer to the receiver machine, right? Um, you can you can look that you know, uh, you can look up how to do that online. But um, you know, if you're just vaguely curious about um, other machines in your area and and that, but you will see something called an IP address for most of those machines if you do a, a trace route, right? Um, and that's important because IP addresses are how uh, machines are hooked up to the network. Because yeah. each, um, um, to use my streets metaphor, we'll, we'll stick with that one. Um, you know, you need a street address for people to send mail, um, or for information to get to. So, right. you know, if your, your computer has its own address, um, usually assigned to you by your ISP, which may or may not change depending on, depending on your ISP and ISP. kind of account you have yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So, so for every instance where you are connected to the internet, the machine you are connecting through, whether that's a computer or a smartphone or any other kind of Internet-capable device, is going to have its own IP address. Now, that address may change depending on your Internet service provider, and uh, it won't change through the duration of your of your current stay, but it might change from one instance to another. So if you log off and turn everything off and then you log on again later, you may have a different IP address, again, depending on your ISP. Uh, the ISPs for servers that serve up information very rarely change. Uh, they usually stay pretty static, um, which is helpful because when you're, when you're trying to connect to a server, uh, to, to access information, if it stays the same, then that makes it easier to do repeated connections to that server. You don't have to worry about looking it up every single time. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, that, uh, that also is important. The, uh, the domain name servers. Or oh, yes. DNS, um, because you know these these IP addresses, Internet Protocol addresses, are a series of uh, four octets, um, basically zero to two fifty five, yep. separated by periods. So mm-hmm. you could have, for example, zero dot zero dot zero dot zero, you know, right. or any numbers to zero to two fifty five for each yeah. of them, um, and and that's what an IP address looks like now. Um, you, you'd have to say if you wanted to visit HowStuffWorks.com, you'd have to know our IP address. And that could get really annoying because, you know, on all those commercials, you say, yeah, check us out at 0.45.563. Well, not 563. Three, right. You know, whatever. Right. Anyway, two, you'd five, have to two. remember the number. You'd be going, wait, <laughs> read that number again. And right. I don't think the uh, the Internet would be nearly as popular if you had to do that. Right. So they, they uh, came up with a system uh, of domain names. And in order to manage that, the domain name server actually connects the name that you know, HowStuffWorks.com, with 
the IP address for the website. Right. So that it's, you know, you have a static IP address, which is the dedicated address for that. And it can be found at howstuffworks.com. So all you have to remember is the name that is, uh, you know, a, a name that you can, that's easy to remember in your head. Right. Exactly. So for example, you know, it's just like computer languages. Computer languages are designed so that humans can, can program because we think more easily in, in terms of like words and, and, and strings of letters and things of that nature. Uh, but that's not machine readable. No. The machines need numbers. Ones and yeah. Ones and zeros. So really ultimately the, even the, the numbers in an IP address eventually become ones and zeros. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So www.howstuffworks.com is not machine readable. No. This is the, the, the domain name server's job is to translate that into the correct IP address, which might mean looking up uh, the domain name server for all .com addresses, and then that would eventually be able to point to the right uh, server that would have the specific address for uh, Um this is getting a little more granular than I expected, but yeah, that's, that is a good, a good point is that without the IP addresses, the internet doesn't work, or at least the being able to track down specific information on the internet wouldn't work. You would, you know, you wouldn't be able to direct anything to anyone because there'd be no way of knowing where to send any information. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that, well, that's the important thing I think is that you've got your IP address, which identifies your machine. You have an IP address of the machine on the other end that you know or that your computer knows is where it needs to go. And the protocols, you know, it's got the information it needs and it already has a connection to those machines through mm-hmm. the network of networks. So using that, you know, you've got the ability to, you know, do all kinds of things. Use Usenet, do email, transfer files on FTP, that's file transfer protocol. Use uh, Telnet. Telnet if you want to, mm-hmm. if you're uh, so inclined Hey, that's how I met my wife. Hey. Well, you know, and there are other ones too, Gopher, Waze. You know, there a lot of these older protocols, some of which are very um, minimally used at this point, but are still, you know, possible using the internet. And it's the the funny thing is a lot of this technology that the, the protocols and uh, IP addresses are essentially the same that were invented in the, the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, with minimal revisions, of, of course, one of the reasons that, uh, internet service providers have to assign, uh, IP addresses dynamically, which is, you know, a new one every time you log on, uh, you know, reboot your modem or, or, uh, dial in if you're still using a dial in connection. I'm very sorry. Um, right. It's because so many people are using the internet now that they realize, well, we're going to run out of addresses eventually. Yeah, especially when you figure that most people have more than one internet capable device. People, yeah. most people who are already on the internet, I should say, not yeah. most people. Period. Yeah. Um, so that, in fact, uh, I'm sorry. Well, I was just ahead. going to say that's why they they amended the IP address to be IPv6, which right. is it basically just extends the number of octets in the IP address to make more combination possible combinations. A huge, huge expansion, actually. Yes. Because right now. Uh, if you guys listen to our, our 2038 problem podcast, mm-hmm. we had this great time where we talked about how many seconds you could count up to until you hit the, uh, the 2038 and right. starts over again because it's a 32 bit number. Same thing here, uh, with the, the octet system, it gave us a maximum of, uh, and this, 
this is a kind of a fake maximum because not all addresses are available right. to start with. Mm-hmm. But if you were able to use every single address within that 0 to 255 octet range, right. you would have a maximum of 4,294,967,296 addresses. Which sounds like a lot. I mean, four billion—that's a lot. But but you think about it, there are a lot more people in countries that uh, are just tuning in, if you will, to the internet. Yeah, heck, China's exploding on the internet right yep. now. And again, people might have multiple devices, and not all of those addresses are usable. So that was why various groups were working on on a new set of protocols mm-hmm. uh, in order to address this problem before it becomes. You know, before you get to a point where you cannot add any more devices to the internet because you've run out of IP addresses. Right. That's where the IPv6 comes in. So the octet version was a 32 bit system. The, um, IPv6 is, uh, is a 128 bit system, which pretty much solves that problem for the foreseeable future. Cause again, we're talking exponential growth here. We're not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just a, oh, that's, you know, four times as many. No, 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 no. It's way more than that. Yeah. Um, and it's, in fact, it's such a large number that I can't rattle it off like I did the four billion number. Cause that in comparison is a tiny number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, again, that'll solve the problem in the foreseeable future. And I don't know, uh, I don't know about the other, you know, a lot of changes to other protocols such as TCP IP and, uh, and, uh, hypertext transfer protocol. I think f- for the foreseeable future, those will probably stay similar anyway. I mean, they seem to, to hold up reasonably well. Every once in a while you hear people say that the internet is going to, uh, explode or fail because there's so many people on it. But I think, um, it's one of those things too where people are gradually adding more capacity. I mean, as, as stuff wears out, there, you know, technology yeah. allows new and expanded connections. I remember when I first worked uh, at, a, at a place that had a, a T1 line. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that was really fast. And I thought, well, I'm going to look that up. Well, it turns out it's about 1.5 megabits per second, which is, you know, an average DSL speed. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can find much faster now. Sure, sure. Especially under absolutely. fiber optic lines. And, um, you know, it, it's it's the average connection to the home now is – you know, well, the average broadband connection is, I think, around three megabits per second. I didn't look that up, so you know, feel free to uh, to send me an email. But no, I mean, it's it's becoming more normal to see speeds of three and six megabits to the home when broadband is available. So and yeah, much higher in, in some States. markets. Yeah, in some some places, uh, you know, even higher. Yeah, and and fiber is becoming more popular as an option now. So you know, I think that they're going to be forced. You know, the, the owners of the backbone will probably be forced to expand as time goes on. But I mean, there's a big commercial interest in the internet now. You know, now that it's no longer just a, uh, an Research educational oriented. and government, yeah. uh, utility, so many people rely on it for a lot of different reasons that, you know, it's, um, you know, it's not worthwhile to let it collapse under the weight of the traffic traveling yeah. on it. So exactly. there's a vested interest. Ah, oh, I am done. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's uh, again, it's it's kind of arcane and interesting at the same time. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you, you could get a lot more granular and a lot more technical about it too. But we should just be thankful for the fact that we had some some brilliant minds working on these protocols in the first place. Because otherwise, what we would have is a bunch of separate networks that would be incapable of communicating with one another. Yeah. So we would have regions of very rich 
content and, and connectivity and other regions that would be very poorly served. Uh, and there'd uh, be no way to share the, the wealth or even two regions that were both very rich, but could not share that information among them, each other. So you'd have big gaps in info on one versus the other, depending on, you know, the specialties. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's mainly the protocols. The hardware is important, but, uh, again, without the protocols in place, uh, all the hardware in the world's not going to matter to you because they're not going to, you know, the machines will not be able to communicate with we, each other. So. Yeah, actually, um, you know, now that I think about it, it, it might have been nice that a, such a small group of people were working on this because if we had relied on, you know, the governments of the world to agree on protocols. Yeah, we'd, we'd but, be you know, way behind. Yeah. We'd be well, way behind. You know, it's hard to get a lot of people to agree on any one thing. So, well, we, we would probably have a bunch, again, we would probably have a bunch of, of independent networks that didn't work very well together. Yeah. And right now we have, you know, Lots of networks that can all communicate using the same basic set of protocols. So, good job. Uh, I'm. Are you? I, I don't have anything else. Oh, good. Let's let's uh, wrap up. Uh, I don't philosophical as it was. I don't have any listener mail to end today, but oh, I do okay. have a little listener tweet. And this Twitter message comes from Nikos Demopoulos, who said to me, "How come your podcasts seem always short, no matter how much time you and Chris talk? Weird." You know what? That's an awesome compliment because sometimes we sit here and we're like, seriously, we talked about that for 44 minutes. <laughs> That's Tech only conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm glad that you enjoy it. And I know that some of our listeners sometimes think that we go on a little too long. I recommend you listen to us at one and a half times speed. Thanks a lot. If any of you want to write us, our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. If you want to send me a Twitter message, my Twitter handle is at John Strickland. And mine is at techstuffchris. So, yeah, we we do read listener tweets occasionally. Not that often, but uh, I'm trying to, to save those so that I can make sure I can acknowledge on air whenever possible. And remember, you can read all about Internet architecture, domain name servers, IP addresses. We have articles on all this information. If you want to see some really cool illustrations that that show what we've been talking about, I recommend you go to HowStuffWorks.com. We have all of that information there. Um, Sometimes that that stuff is easier seen. Yeah, yeah. And we've got some nice animations and everything to kind of of, uh, illustrate these points. So if you still are confused, visit our website. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?